Welcome back to Kentucky History and Haunts. I'm Jesse Bartholomew, and today I've got a story that is probably going to make you pretty frustrated. It's, uh, it's one that a lot of people have gotten wrong, so I think it's important to talk about it. Uh, so, you guys know about Quaker Oats, the brand, right? Uh, they recently announced, I mean, not that recently, but, you know, like maybe a year ago or so, they announced that they were going to do away with the Aunt Jemima brand. And when they announced that, a lot of people took to social media and they started telling the story of Nancy Green. Nancy Green was the first woman who modeled for the brand Aunt Jemima. So she she portrayed Aunt Jemima. And these stories about her started circulating on social media, specifically, you know, on Twitter, getting retweeted. And there were just tons of inaccuracies, right? And so the, all these, all this false information was just circulating all over the internet. And as a result, it's somewhat difficult to decipher what was true and what was false about this woman's life. So what I'm going to do today is try to tell you the real story of Nancy Green, who was born in Montgomery County, Kentucky. She was born into slavery on March 4th, 1834. More specifically, I think she was born on a farm just a few miles outside of Mount Sterling, which is just about due east of Lexington. She had between two and four children with a man probably named George Green. And of course, there are no birth or death certificates recorded for slaves, so these details are from oral history and they could be somewhat inaccurate. But it sounds like around the end of the Civil War, her husband and her children had all passed away. So she was living alone in this little frame shack behind a really big house on Main Street in Covington, Kentucky, so up in northern Kentucky. And she was working for this family, Charles and Amanda Walker. So she was living behind their house, um, and she was working for them as a nurse, a cook, a nanny, and a housekeeper. And she ended up moving with that family to Chicago. And the Walker's children grew up, and Green kept working for the family. So she actually ended up working for the children, specifically for Chicago Circuit Court Judge Charles M. Walker Jr. Her obituary in the Sunday Morning Star read, quote, she nursed and made pancakes for the late circuit judge Charles M. Walker, chief justice of the municipal court and his brother. And that particular obituary went on to imply that it was that prominent family's word of mouth that made Green's pancake recipe famous and got her on the radar of this big um, flour company. But according to this article written by USA Today writer Miriam Fauzia in 2020, that was not quite the truth. And in fact, according to this article, which is called Fact Check, Aunt Jemima model Nancy Green didn't create the brand, the recipe wasn't Green's at all. So in this version of the story, which is more likely the true version, there was a man named Chris Rudd, and he had a business partner named Charles Underwood, and together they bought a flour mill and they were experimenting for a while kind of through trial and error until they found what they felt was the perfect recipe for quote self-rising pre-mixed pancake flour. Now they had this great product but they were having a really hard time marketing it to the public. 
I've just been sitting here like working up the courage to get through this next segment because some of the things I have to say are just like very uncomfortable for me. Um, But it's important to say this part because it is pretty good demonstration of how racist the roots of this brand were. So here we go. One day, while strolling through St. Joseph, Missouri, this guy, Rutt, stopped to watch a performance of a song that was called Old Aunt Jemima, which was written by Billy Kersand in 1875. And this song and others like it were really quite popular when they came out, and they were meant to be performed comedically, often with men in drag playing the parts of women. It was extremely racist. Often, the men in drag would be white men in blackface. And this and other songs specifically attempted to depict a, quote, mammy stereotype. According to a Medium article called Aunt Jemima, It Was Never About Pancakes, minstrel shows portray black people as dim-witted, lazy, easily frightened, chronically idle, superstitious, happy-go-lucky buffoons. I'm going to read you another section of that article. It just explains it better than I could. Quote, The Mammy was created by white Southerners to redeem the relationship between black women and white men within slave society. Slave owners sexually exploited and abused their female slaves. Catherine Clinton's book, The Plantation Mistress, Woman's World in the Old South, notes that Mammy was made to appear unattractive, so no white man could want her over his white wife. Therefore, quote, proving that white men did not find black women sexually desirable. She was also proof that black women were happy as slaves. The Mammy helped put to rest any worries white people may have had around her or women who looked like her. The Mammy pictured female household slaves as fat, middle-aged, dark-skinned, undesirable, happy to serve whites, always smiling. The ugly truth is that they were thin, young, light-skinned, a daughter of rape, desirable to white men, and therefore raped, utterly powerless, extremely unhappy. So yeah, there's that. And apparently this rut guy found the song really inspiring and decided that would be his brand. And they still didn't do well, right? They just could not get this thing off the ground. And they ended up selling their product to R.T. Davis Milling Company, which was the largest flour mill in Buchanan County, Missouri. And this guy, R.T. Davis, he had this stuff. He knew what he was doing. So he was the one who was like, we got to find a spokesperson that's going to represent this brand that we've chosen, a model that is Aunt Jemima. So he had a casting call in 1890 for, quote, theatrical black women. And the idea was to have this person go to, like, trade shows and big demonstrations to the public and be Aunt Jemima. And one of the few things that seems to be agreed on in all the articles I've read about her is that it really was her personality that made her fit this role. She was lively and theatrical. So she was perfect for these public events for them. According to the USA Today article I mentioned, she would work booths that looked like giant flower barrels where she would cook pancakes, sing, and tell stories about her childhood being a slave in Kentucky. 
or actually in the story, I believe she was a slave in Louisiana. Uh, It sounds like the 1893 World's Columbian Exposition in Chicago was when she really had a big impact on sales and just like getting the public involved because after that, the company offered her a lifetime contract. Although I can't imagine what that contract looked like because one of the other details that seemed consistent across all the accounts I read is that she never really got compensated or at least not well for any of the work she did for the company. For example, in the 1910 census, she was still describing herself as housekeeper, as her primary occupation. So they find Nancy Green, and she is this theatrical, lively woman, and she's going to all the trade shows, she's putting on this great performance, she's getting the public involved, Um, Her face is up on billboards with this quote that says, Eyes in town, honey, just all over the country. And all of a sudden, it's a household name, right? And, And the pancakes are on every kitchen table in every American household. And with the mix, they also started distributing this pamphlet. And this pamphlet had her fake life story about how she was a slave owned by Colonel Higby, which I believe they said it was in Louisiana. And everyone would go and visit his plantation to eat her pancakes. And then after the war, the pamphlet said the Davis Milling Company would or did pay her in gold to share her secret pancake recipe with them. So this pamphlet that was full of lies, um, I think it got blended like reality and this fictional pamphlet got blended and people lost the truth, right? And I think that this is probably a good part of why her story is so misunderstood. But according to her Chicago Defender obituary, she was also a philanthropist and ministry leader and one of the founding members of the Olivet Baptist Church, which is the oldest active black Baptist church in Chicago. And I also want to read you a quote from Romy Crawford, who researches African-American visual imagery at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, who said this about Green. Quote, That is absolutely the irony, that she's playing a role, a derogatory type and caricature of black women. In actuality, this is a black woman who was moving around the country, and in a way, the world. Her actual mobility in so many ways defied the stasis of the problematic caricature type. Nancy Green died in 1923 when she was 89 years old. A car collided with a laundry truck and ended up hitting her as she stood on the sidewalk nearby. Just really a sad way to go out at 89 years old. Um, And there is one more thing I want to mention before wrapping up here. There is a woman named Sherry Williams who is president of the Bronzeville Historical Society. And she wanted to find Nancy Green's gravesite, knowing that it wouldn't have a headstone, that it would be unmarked. And she wanted to give her some sort of marker or monument. And the staff at Oakwood Cemetery in Chicago did help her locate the gravesite, which was unmarked, just as she had suspected. But the cemetery had a policy that the person buried or a descendant of that person had to give permission to erect a gravestone. 
So Williams hopped on Ancestry.com and she started tracking down Green's distant relatives. And she was finally able to connect with Green's great-great-great-nephew, Marcus Hayes. But in the meantime, she tried reaching out to Quaker Oats to see if they would like to support her efforts to get Nancy Green some sort of headstone. And I think this is really important because the rest of the story took place in the late 1800s, early 1900s. But this last part happened in 2019, okay? The corporate response was that Nancy Green and Aunt Jemima aren't the same, that Aunt Jemima is a fictitious character, and basically that because of that, they just didn't feel the need to get involved. So yeah, they didn't even acknowledge that Nancy Green had worked for years and years in a degrading position and probably for little to no compensation. Now, Quaker Oats didn't acquire the brand until 1926, which was after Green had already passed away. So maybe you're thinking, well, they didn't even really have anything to do with it, right? Well, wrong, sort of, because in 1933, they hired Anna Robinson to do the same thing, to play Aunt Jemima at the Chicago's World Fair. So they are just as guilty of perpetuating the stereotype, for the record. And that is hopefully somewhat close to the true story of Kentucky native Nancy Green. I wanted to quickly say thank you to everyone who has gone to Apple Podcasts and left a review. That is like Christmas morning when I see new reviews on there. It is so rewarding because I spend a lot of time on these episodes. So thank you for that. The other best way to share the show is on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook. If you ever see a post, you know, share it to your story or retweet it. That helps me so much. Um, Also wanted to give a shout out to Leo Weekly, Leo Magazine. That was really cool of them to include me in a feature on local podcasters, and I really appreciate that. And I think that's all I've got. So thank you all so much for listening and supporting the show. And also thank you for all the suggestions I've been getting lately. I love getting listener suggestions, and most of the time it's stuff I've not heard of. So keep those coming as well. All right, guys. Thank you so much. Until next time.